digital assets are really a method or a mechanism by which you have a very efficient means of tracking ownership of a particular asset. And of course, there's a whole host of different types of assets that can be underlying these digital assets. But effectively, it's a digital record. You do have an immutable record where there is consensus on the ownership of those particular assets or rights to those assets. And therefore, it becomes a very efficient medium from which an asset can be transferred from one party to another. How does this actually differ from the kind of trading that we've already been familiar with, the kind of electronic activity on stock markets and other markets that we've already seen in the last decade? Certainly, there, there have been a lot of advances on how information is stored in what I'll refer to as a legacy infrastructure environment. Local databases, even some cloud-hosted databases, are providing an environment from which data can be recorded and accessed. But it's still not an immutable environment. And as a result, you know, there is some ambiguity around ownership rights to these underlying assets. Now, you have a platform that you're going to set up in Saudi Arabia. What's that going to mean for the market there? Well, certainly it's early days, as it is in virtually every jurisdiction around the world. But the the beauty of what a blockchain-based market infrastructure environment provides is an opportunity for automation, like we haven't seen in the past, effectively programmable assets uh, that have the ability to self-govern effectively, uh, both the distribution control characteristics of the asset, as well as some of the performance aspects if you start uh, operating more in a fund environment versus an individual asset-backed digital asset. Uh, But what this means for a marketplace like Saudi Arabia or the UAE or essentially any other jurisdiction around the world is an opportunity to increase access to yield opportunities by having a broader, more accessible base of investment environments, as well as by by virtue of making an investment more accessible, you have an opportunity to reduce the cost of capital to the asset holder who is seeking investment. There's a a symbiotic relationship and and a benefit to both sides of the market in this environment by increasing exposure, increasing access to the market. How does it actually act to reduce the cost of capital, as you mentioned? Well, look at it this way. If, uh, if I'm seeking to raise capital, uh, let's say it's a private equity venture, and I'm seeking to raise capital, and I have to go and go VC to VC to VC or family office to family office and make my pitch and do the things that I need to do to try to attract investment. If instead I have an environment that is more accessible, Therefore, almost like an IPO-like environment, meaning that you have a broad base of qualified investors who have opportunity to perform due diligence on the investment opportunity. By virtue of having a greater, a broader base of investors seeking yield opportunities, you have an opportunity to attract capital at a lower cost because you have a, a broader base of investors to consider the investment opportunity. That's a, a benefit that I think is, is worth highlighting. Is it also not going to be the case that markets will become disconnected from geographies? Obviously, the deal your company is involved in is in Saudi Arabia, it is with a a Saudi institution, but what you're describing is something that is not necessarily something that needs to be linked to a geography. 
You're exactly right. And this is why our technology is so unique in the marketplace and why Masharika was very interested to in, introduce our technology to Saudi Arabia and the CMA, the Capital Market Authority in Saudi, because of that multi-jurisdictional distribution control attribute that our technology delivers. That's a mouthful to say, multi-jurisdictional distribution control. But every regulator, uh, whether they're governing public markets or private markets or debt markets or whatever it is, they want to ensure that there is distribution control on the assets. And that's what legacy exchanges offered. That's what legacy brokerages and multilateral trading facilities offer. Unique relationships with the market participants in a closed environment to ensure control of the distribution of the asset, to ensure that it doesn't get into the hands of somebody who is not qualified to hold, trade, or transfer that asset. It could be because they're not uh, a sophisticated investor or accredited or institutional buyer. It could be because they're on an OFAC sanctions list or something like that. So distribution control is, is really important to a regulator. Multi-jurisdiction distribution control now means that you have the ability to govern across jurisdictions, honoring or respecting the restrictions of each market and the market participants within those jurisdictions. You're right, it is a mouthful. <laughs> is, it some, is it something, I'm not even going to attempt it because I will stumble over it, but is it something that is going to be acceptable to what you describe as the legacy exchanges? Because I can see a fight developing here. Yeah, so I think it will be. Pardon the expression, it's futile to resist. Uh, the, the benefits of connecting markets is so important. It so supersedes the interests of a localized controlled market. When you have an opportunity to connect a network of venues from different jurisdictions around the world, allowing market makers from one jurisdiction to be able to transact in another jurisdiction while honoring the compliance requirements, the regulatory requirements of each market is substantial. I mean, this is how emerging markets and developing markets have an opportunity to gain access to capital in jurisdictions where there's a surplus of capital, but there's not a surplus of yield opportunities. So we can bring these markets together. Our technology is, is very unique in this respect, and, and, and uh, I'll take a moment to just explain it because I think your uh, listeners may be interested to understand why. Our intellectual property is part of something that's known as a compliance-aware token. And what that means is that the token itself is self-governing. It addresses a policy enforcement requirement prior to a transaction being executed. What does that mean if I were to unwrap that a little bit? Every party who's transacting in the market has some credentials about them that either permit or preclude them to participate in a transaction. It could be their identity, their citizenship, their investor qualifications, you know, a host of things that would say in one jurisdiction they're permitted to transact, but in another jurisdiction that they're not. We use a rules engine, which is part of our technology framework, that is a policy enforcement mechanism. It takes the regulations of the jurisdiction of the issuance, considers those, and it also considers the regulations of the jurisdiction of the offerer, and of the beneficiary. In doing so, prior to the transaction being executed, it confirms that the transaction is permissible. This automation allows for instant clearing across borders from one jurisdiction to another, 
and allows liquidity to flow from one market to another. This is a very different approach than most of the digital asset solution providers offers. We're not a whitelist solution, which is a, an expression that uh, is often associated with most of the other technology providers in the market. We use a service called, or not a service, but a technique called attribute-based authorization. And we are confirming that the credentials and the attributes of the participants uh, are known and qualified before the transaction is executed. If we can stay under the hood for the moment, I also understand that your technology is blockchain agnostic. Because I'm a very simple man on these things, perhaps you could explain the importance of that. I'm glad you highlighted it. So really at the core of what our company is, as a technology provider, is uh, we're a financial services market infrastructure technology. What does that mean? Well, we effectively have developed a series of application program interfaces, APIs, that exist between legacy infrastructure, legacy databases of our you know, traditional banking and exchange institutions, as well as the, the technologies of the future, the distributed ledger technologies. So those are referred to as blockchain technologies. We're operating in the middle, and what we do is we don't choose a particular ledger to be the only ledger we operate on. So we are integrated with Ethereum, which is one of the most pervasive ledgers in the market, but we're also integrated with Ripple and Stellar and EOS, and we'll continue to integrate with other ledgers. And what this means is it means two things. One, ledger technology is going to continue to advance. So as new technologies come on board, maybe quantum-resistant ledgers and the like, we'll just integrate in them uh, and integrate with them and permit assets to flow across those different ledgers as well. Another thing that's important about the interoperability component that you're emphasizing is that a record of ownership can be held on a ledger, let's say it's Ethereum, and if the owner of that asset or the asset manager of that asset wants to move it to another ledger, the it, can, it can be moved to another ledger and the compliance characteristics travel with it. This is hugely important for convenience because we don't want a market where everybody has to be on the same ledger. You want an interoperable environment where people choose to do their business. But it also addresses things like disaster response. So in the event that there is a degradation of a ledger, which we've seen uh, from time to time in recent years, markets can't be crippled by a ledger that's been degraded for one reason or another. So our technology permits the records that are on a ledger that has been uh, degraded to move to a new ledger and continue with trading transactions and, and a host of other activities. So that interoperability is incredibly important to the central banks and to the regulators of, of the different jurisdictions that we're engaging with around the world, because they're very keen to ensure that their economies are not crippled by a technology outage. And this is a significant part of what our technology does is, is it bridges uh, to avoid those kinds of uh, scenarios. Okay, final question. How do you manage different compliance requirements around the world? So we have an interface that we refer to it as a rules engine, which is essentially a plain language abstraction layer that allows for a issuer or an issuer's counsel to be able to sit down in very plain language, write in the constraints of that offering. Those rules are 
then translated into the code, the smart contracts that govern those particular issuances. So an issuer who says, I'm going to issue in Saudi Arabia, for instance, and they're only going to offer in Saudi Arabia, they would then map in the regulations of that particular investment type vehicle, um, and it would be governed within Saudi Arabia. The instrument could not travel to any other market participant that wasn't qualified to transact in Saudi Arabia. If down the road, the issuer then says, I want to issue an offer in Saudi Arabia, but I also want to offer in Abu Dhabi, in the Abu Dhabi global market. They would then, to the rules engine, add the regulations that, that constrain an offering in Abu Dhabi, and now both sets of rules are available and market participants from those two jurisdictions can now participate, provided they're qualified, and so on and so on. So an issuer and their counsel can continue to add jurisdictions to their offering over the life cycle of the token. And this is the beauty of, of what our rules engine and policy enforcement capabilities offers, because we all know regulations change every day around the world. And no regulator wants to see a token issued into the market that tomorrow is no longer consistent with the regulations. So this is a dynamic policy. It's very, very uh, convenient uh, for an issuer to use. And it's very reassuring to the regulators because it's a uh, living, breathing policy enforcement point that can be adapted to jurisdictions around the world.